What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Stark Raven Mad. Baltimore bullies the Cowboys on their way to the win and cover. What happened in that game that would make you want to sell the Cowboys, but why you shouldn't, at least for one week? Time to look ahead to week 14 in the NFL as we decipher who's worthy of a seven-point spread and who's not. Can we trust the Jags as big dogs? And the other early line moves and what they might mean this week. Plus, we continue our modified preseason toe dip into college hoops even as another marquee matchup bites the dust. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Just me today, so we'll try to get you out of here as fast as we possibly can. Uh, don't look back in anger segment as we start. Uh, Baltimore covers easily at any number. So talked about yesterday how, you know, are we a sucker at this point for betting favorites? I'm not going to lie. I ended up betting Baltimore late, you know, just before kickoff as this line. You know, I was able to find a minus eight, so I bet that. I talked about how Dallas was not an option in any way, shape, or form to bet as an underdog. And when I sort of say that, it's almost better, and this is just literally a personal thing, like when you're listening to this podcast, it's almost advice to almost, in a weird way, fade me or whatever. But like, when I say that I would not bet a underdog under any circumstances, even if I'm saying I'm not betting the favorite, you probably should just bet the favorite. Because if I don't like an underdog at all... Um, that's almost better than when I like a favorite because when I like a favorite, I do sort of get caught up in sort of the groupthink mentality or just, you know, however favorites work, right? Where people want to bet the better team. When I really love a favorite, like, you know, the Monday nighter back against, you know, Tampa Bay and the Rams, right? Love Tampa Bay that day. And almost got away with it. Let's be honest. Almost got away with it. But you're watching that game. You're going, I'm on the wrong side. I should, I, why don't I like the points here? I should have loved the points here. In this situation, it's like, man, that's a lot of points and da 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 da. But like, I was kind of impressed that Dallas was able to score at all, you know. And that might be a bit of an indictment on Baltimore and their defense in general. Um, as for the under, that gets jammed up due to the onside kick situation, right? And in some cases, you might have a game pegged entirely where even a late Dallas touchdown, you know, against a sort of preventy type defense, still doesn't get the number over the total, and Problem is, though, right, they're down 10. They still think they have a chance. And, of course, they, in theory, they did, right? It's only 10 points five minutes ago. I don't begrudge them for kicking the onside kick. But they kick the onside kick, and Baltimore recovers. And a part of me is even in that sort of scrum. You're going, maybe if Dallas gets the ball here, then Baltimore can get a stop, and we still get the under home. Because you know if Baltimore is going to recover this thing on, like, the 40-whatever-yard line, they're going to get the one first down. They might even get a second first down. But they're too close to the goal line not to score here because there's just too much time left on the clock. <laughs> so sure enough, that's exactly what happens. And so you're sitting there going, oh, okay, well, we lost the under there. You know, ended up getting the uh, the Baltimore uh, bet home. Uh, props bet, Dalton to Dalton cashes. Andy Dalton to Dalton Schultz goes over the number. Um, Dobbins wins easily. Problem is... We don't get the bonus for Dalton Schultz because Baltimore just decided three men on Dalton Schultz is the option in the red zone while uh, Amari Cooper just runs free in the back of the end zone as if that was probably the best uh, idea from a strategic standpoint. Um, Talked about on Twitter, Devin Duvernay 
that didn't work out. And so, listen, the point is, is, like, he's on the field all of the time. And, you know, listen, you know, I guess, you know, you should assume that the Ravens aren't going to throw the ball a ton because they're not going to need to necessarily. But you had touchdowns to, you know, Marquise Brown. You had a touchdown on a broken coverage to uh, Miles Boykin, a guy who he had to score a touchdown against Pittsburgh. But again, we, you know, we got RG3'd in that situation. And the point is, is like it's not like Miles Boykin like dominated his matchup, and you could say like, oh yeah, like you know saw that for sure. It's like no, it was a coverage bust, and the coverage bust could have happened, you know, to benefit Devin Duvernay. It just didn't, right? And it just happened to go that way for Miles Boykin. We just got the wrong guy as that sort of secondary receiver who was going to get open at some point and have Lamar Jackson find him. So, um, all in all. An okay night when it comes to that sort of thing. Always sort of fun with these standalone games, even on a Tuesday. If you're wondering, and I know you're not, only because we talked about it on the podcast yesterday, Ted uh, Ballantyne and I, in our fantasy football matchup, yes, he got a touchdown from Marquise Brown. No, he did not win. Justin Tucker did enough for a relatively comfortable victory for my squad as we go on to the playoffs. I know you're on the absolute edge of your seat about that one. Um, speaking of your edge of your seat, let's get into week 14 in the NFL here. We're trying to, you know, just blow right through this, but there's a couple of sort of, you know, I want to say teachable because that sounds like I'm, you know, teaching, but in a lot of cases, you know, some teachable stuff here. Uh, but we'll start off with Thursday. A lot more to talk about, obviously, tomorrow on the show. Um, but just from a line movement standpoint, this thing has gone from six and a half down to you're actually able to get five at this point for the Rams. This has to be the low point in the marketplace for the Rams. I think you have to bet the Rams here at minus five and then just sort of see where it goes because we might be able to get back to six here come Thursday and then can sort of make a bigger picture decision in that spot. I just think it's a decent idea to have a Rams ticket at a number as low as minus five. It goes to minus four and a half. It goes to minus four. Okay, fine. I don't think you're losing all that much. You know that I've been sort of saying that minus five is actually becoming not a key number in the NFL, but a relatively important one, the way some of these games shake down with two-point conversions, trying to get to three, and do you fail or not? Do you try to, you know, trying to get to seven? Are you failing or not? Because a lot of times, right, six becomes less important when a team is trailing. Um, two is certainly not that important. Four is certainly not that important. Um because when these teams are going for two to try to get this thing back on to seven or back on to three and they fail, guess what? A lot of times they're landing on five. So I think in the future, once we get a little more data, we'll start to see that five is becoming more and more of a relevant number, if not a key number in the NFL. As for Sunday's action, Arizona minus two and a half. You know already where I'm going with this one as they go on the road to take on the Giants. Now it's very easy to get all caught up in the Giants uh, having beat Seattle um, and maybe, you know, we're sort of falling into a trap there, but what has our sort of theme been throughout the course of the last half of this season so far is that it's a fade the Cardinals situation. Now we're going to wait on this to see if we can get three. Um, but once we get once a pop, plus three pops, I think that's we, a thing where we jump on it when we can, and then we sort of figure it out later. And maybe that ends up that we're back on Arizona minus two and a half, because I think it ends up sort of being at or around minus two and a half might even go lower than minus two and a half. But getting plus three into an account is sort of where we want to start with this game if we can get it. So hopefully there's still that Arizona money that comes in every single week at some point. Hopefully that still happens and we can get a three somewhere just as a basis point for that. Next one up is an interesting game. Dallas and Cincinnati. Just talked about Dallas. And listen, 
try to get through this as sort of quickly as I can. But point is, we watched that game last night, and it's very easy to look at Dallas in the fourth quarter and be like, well, you know, like the defense just sort of gave up. I don't know that they gave up. I don't know that they quit. They were just kind of done, right? They were just kind of getting done with getting hit in the face by Edwards, by Dobbins, by Ingram, and then having to chase Lamar Jackson around. Well, against Cincinnati, literally none of those things are going to be an issue. Not a single one. Like if Joe Mixon comes back, which I don't think he's going to, then yes, the battering ram element from one single guy comes in. But like, why would the Bengals bring him back and then run him 30 times? It just doesn't make any sense. And you could watch the Ravens literally every single play. They would rotate a running back in. I was looking at it very closely, considering we had some J.K. Dobbins in our lives last night. And so every single play, they bring in a guy, which means each guy was absolutely as fresh as he possibly could be for every single carry that he got last night. And so I'm not really going to beat up the Cowboys defense all that much for that because that would suck to have that the same guy because all three of those guys run exactly the same. To have each one of those guys just constantly just in your face the entire time. And when they don't have the ball and you still have to tackle them because they might have the ball and you look up and Lamar Jackson has the ball and you're like, God, now we got to chase him down. And that would just be brutal. But again, Cincinnati does not have that situation. And so I don't think it's a deal where Dallas has quit on the season and let's bet on whoever they play next week. And, oh, it's Cincinnati and I don't care. And I was like, I get that as a, as a, as a theory. And I don't necessarily blame you if you think that way. But like, have you watched Cincinnati? What if Cincinnati, God forbid, was a primetime uh, you know, game the last two weeks? Or really at all this season? You would know that Cincinnati was atrocious before Joe Burrow got hurt. And he was the only thing keeping them alive. And you would know that these last two games, against the Giants, where they're getting you know kick return touchdowns, and against the Dolphins, where their only score was like a five-yard out that went for 75 yards, you would know that Cincinnati's offense is awful. They don't have any plan whatsoever. And we might even be into the Ryan Finley portion of the program based on the fact that Brandon Allen left that game. Now, I think he's still going to be good to go to start here, but like how much, you know, how long will he, will he might even last? And so Dallas comes off this game and, you know, short week and all of those sorts of things. I think that's repressing this number a little bit where it's only three and a half. And listen, if this hits minus three, like, I don't even need to alert you. Minus three is an absolute drill job on the Dallas Cowboys here. And I know that's uncomfortable because I just said drill job on the Dallas Cowboys, as in we should be betting a lot of money on them. And why would we want to do that? But like offensively, you could see like they had a plan against a Ravens team that I thought Andy Dalton was going to be running for his life. And he wasn't. And maybe that's because they had an extra sort of half a week to prepare where the offensive line is sort of battered and missing literally everybody um, as it is, you know, still had at least a decent plan for the Ravens defense. And the Bengals don't have, you know, listen, the Ravens defense is a shadow of its former self, but the Raven or the Bengals certainly don't have a defense of that capability. And so, you know, Dalton's going to be able to get the ball out. He's going to sling it around. And you know who's going to care about this game? Andy Dalton's going to care about this game. And I'd like to think he's going to mention it to somebody on his team. And this is a team that, again, I don't think, at least from an offensive standpoint, and certainly not from a defensive standpoint in the first half, they haven't quit. They're getting, 
I'm just going to say they're getting it together. I mean, they're not going to make any sort of run or anything, but like they're still trying. And this is such a step down from the Ravens to this current edition of the Bengals that I think we're getting a ton of value here on Dallas. And they're on the road, and that's part of it too for a second straight week. But if you're Dallas, do you really want to go home? Do you really want to play a home game? For a lot of these teams that are mediocre to not very good, this late in the season, especially when there's no home field advantage, when there's no crowd, you don't get that extra juice. It's kind of a bummer, right? Like it's taken till week 13, week 14 to sort of realize, and I think we probably realized this earlier, but like it's kind of a drag if you're the home team and you're used to your certain atmosphere, right? So Cowboy Stadium, like everybody, you know, 75,000 people, Jerry World, blah, 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 right? Like Dak Prescott's throwing it around, everybody's loving it. And now you get out there and it's like, you know, there's not a ton of demand, I imagine, for the few tickets that are being sold. And for some of these other teams, right, where they don't have any fans at home. And you go, okay, like, what's my boost here? Like, the, you know, we talk Minnesota Vikings. One of the great home field advantages. Like, it can't be all that thrilling to not have the skull chant going on. To not have all of the stuff that comes with that dome, right? The din when the other team's on offense. All of those things. So why not play on the road? At that point, because you're certainly, you know, works both ways. You're certainly not having to deal with any issues from a road standpoint. And so if you're Dallas, like, who cares where you play Cincinnati? You play them in Cincinnati, you can play them in Timbuktu. What difference does it make? And so I think there's a ton of value here on Dallas. And I think this is one where you just can't get caught up in what you saw on Tuesday to just be like, Dallas is the worst. Fade, 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 fade. It's like, I'm here to tell you, Cincinnati is actually the literal worst. This iteration, at this point in time, they are worse than the Jets. They are certainly worse than the Jaguars. They are the worst team in the NFL. And Dallas is still trying. It might not look pretty, and the defense might get confused by some elaborate schemes, right? Like Leighton Vander Esch getting you know, lost in the wash as Lamar Jackson runs for 50 yards. That's not going to be an issue against the Cincinnati Bengals. These are different matchups, and I can't tell you how important that is on a week-to-week basis in the NFL. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know exactly how important that type of thing is. Next up, Denver and Carolina here. Off the board in some spots, but I am seeing some three and a halfs here. And for me, this is one where, listen, I'm not jumping on anything right now. Um, but Denver plus three and a half does seem to have some value um, as sort of this first look. Now, problem for them is AJ Boye gets busted for PEDs. Funny that now we're starting to get a bunch of PED bust things. Like we're done testing for COVID unless it's Des Bryant in you know, the middle of the game or the middle of the warmups. Uh, and these guys are now getting busted. So look out for some, you know, this guy's not going to be the last guy. And there are probably going to be some significant guys in the way that there was for the Texans. And so AJ Boye is out for the rest of the year. Um, do we get Bryce Callahan back for Denver? Pro- arguably the better corner at this point in his career than AJ Boye. If not, now we're looking at that Denver defense that is going to look a lot more like it did against the Raiders and against the Falcons when they're absolutely getting torched because they didn't have their top defensive backs if Callahan comes back it's a little bit easier especially if DJ Moore is not in for Carolina so again a lot of different moving pieces here but in general you don't get the Panthers underdog you know situation right like remember the Panthers were an underdog at home to Detroit that was two weeks ago (laughs) three weeks ago like that was in November and Detroit was a road favorite at Carolina and now Carolina is a three and a half point favorite at home sure empty stadium, whatever, uh, to Denver, who just played pretty tight with Kansas City. So 
again, uh, like, are we really loving Carolina that much that we want to give up the hook here for Denver? So again, not racing to bet it. Want to know a little bit more from an injury standpoint, but Denver certainly capable of moving the ball. Drew Locke capable of moving the ball against Carolina's defense, all of that sort of thing. Don't know how this doesn't sort of come down to a late field goal. And by the way, I trust McManus way more than I trust Joey Sly at this point in time. Relevant material. Uh, Houston and the Chicago Bears here. So this number was two and a half for Houston. Uh, I did the thing where I was like, man, I'd love to get three. Let's see if we can get three. Then you look up and all of a sudden it's minus one. And that's fine because I still like the Bears to win this game. Um, I do need to obviously know more information. You always got to be locked in on the injury issues with the uh, Chicago defense. As you know, we always like Chicago at home, especially as an underdog. Now we're talking about a one-point underdog, so not really all that significant. But this is still a team that at home, even under Nick Foles, and Trubisky's been moving the ball better on offense and is not exactly going against a very good defense here in the Houston Texans. So he should be able to move the ball here as well, right? They, you know, as much as they blew that game, they still had a 10-point lead against the Detroit Lions. And I don't really know that Houston, for all of their, you know, that big win that they had on Thanksgiving, I don't really know that they're that much different than the Detroit Lions. That line on Thanksgiving was still only two and a half. Um, so with this Bears team going up against Houston at home, you know, they've beaten the Bucks. They've been to overtime with the Saints at home. And that was with Nick Foles. And so uh, I still like the Bears here. It's going to be an ugly play. And, you know, again, I, nobody likes Deshaun Watson more than I do. Incredibly impressive that he basically single-handedly almost won the game for them against the Colts last week. Still getting a ton of credit. Um, and again, nobody likes betting the Bears, but you can see that money has come in immediately on the Bears once you know the market saw this number and was like, well, that's just too high. Uh, even at two and a half, that's just too high. And people gobbled that up and they weren't even willing to wait. You know, let's sort of frame it from this standpoint, right? Like if you're me, I'm sitting there going like, I like two and a half, but I'm willing to wait for three. Somebody out there with enough money to move this number down to one was like, I don't even care about waiting for three. I don't even care that people are going to come in on Houston, probably drive this up to two and a half. No, I'm going to wait for that. I'm going to bet it now. I'm going to take the plus two and a half right this second. I'm going to show my cards. Now, maybe they're driving that down to minus one so that they can come back and take Houston when the limits go up. I think that we have to sort of be aware of. And maybe that's where we end up come Friday because right now we don't have to make a bet on this game. And maybe it turns out Akeem Hicks isn't in or you know some other injury issue sort of pops up. Um, but as of right now, I sort of understand why that line has moved to two and a half to minus to one. I just want to see, we sort of investigate here what the motivation might end up being for that. And I think we'll know once sort of Thursday, Friday rolls around, if this number kicks back up, once limits get bumped up, if this line kicks back up to two, two and a half, then we're going to know that that was a move just to get it down to minus one and be able to come in on minus one for a bigger bet. So kind of a fun sort of backdoor-y type um, sports betting type thing there. Uh, Kansas City and the Miami Dolphins here, minus seven. Kansas City, again, I'm going to take Kansas City at minus seven because I don't know offensively that Miami can keep up with Kansas City. And defensively, as good as you know the Miami Dolphins defense has been, like there have been some flaws here, right? Like they've gotten, again, pretty lucky with some of these teams that they've matched up against. Um, and as much as sort of they're, they're still kind of hanging their hat in a, in a way on that game against the Rams, a game where they still gave up a ton of yards, 
you know, admittedly in garbage time because they were able to get some big defensive plays, some turnovers, you know, turning those into touchdowns and near touchdowns that were converted, you know, in short fields. That being said, right, like there's still games like, you know, Denver and Arizona where they were still giving up a fair amount of yards and a fair amount of points. So can the offense stick with Kansas City? I don't think they can because running the ball is the way that you kind of hang around with Kansas City, right? You open up, you know, you do the classic run the ball, open up your passing game. So even the Derek Carrs of the world and the Drew Locks of the world can have open receivers. Well, I just, I just don't see that being the case here for the Dolphins, right? They haven't been able to run the ball really all season long. And defensively, their bugaboo has been running the ball as well. So I think Kansas City could come at, you know, sort of a two-tier approach here. So that isn't going to be all about throwing here for Kansas City. So again, there's going to be a bunch of these minus sevens. And we have to decide sort of what's the legitimate minus seven and what's the not so legitimate minus seven. Meaning like what are the teams that we want to be backing at minus seven and what are the teams that are sort of minus seven almost by default because the number can't really be anything else. And so with Kansas City here at minus seven, this still just feels like, okay, people like Miami. They like him as an underdog. I even talked about it on Monday how like I was, you know, we were so impressed with like the fight for this Miami team where like guys are getting thrown out and, and like the coat and Brian Flores is like going to fight people. And we like all of that stuff, but like, it, like, is that going to translate to points against the Kansas City Chiefs? Now we've talked about the Kansas City constantly being overvalued to the tune of a point here or a point there, especially on key numbers. And maybe this is the same thing where it's, oh, they were 14 against Denver. They closed 13 because 14 was too high. Is this going to close at six and a half because seven is too high? And again, they have been playing these close games with Denver, with Las Vegas, et cetera, et cetera. And is that getting people off of the Kansas City scent? And I don't mean people sort of at large. I mean sort of the big money type people. And so I can see where Miami would be interesting to people in this situation. I just think that Kansas City scores too much for Miami. And I know that's sort of a simplistic type thing, but at minus seven, um, I think that's a bet that I'm willing to get into the account on the off chance, um, you know, or playing against the chance that it drops to minus six and a half. Minnesota and Tampa Bay. And this is the exact flip for me. Tampa Bay, minus six and a half. Maybe this goes to seven, and that's certainly what we're hoping it does because I'm going to be on Minnesota here, and I'd like to get seven with it because I think this is a situation where, okay, well, why? Why is, you know... Is this a legitimate seven-point favorite here for Tampa Bay based on something other than reputation? Because if it's just on results, they're very middling results in the same way that Minnesota's results have been very middling. But the good news for Minnesota is that they're getting seven points here. And we just talked about the home field advantage kind of being a waste for Minnesota. So good. They're going on the road. It's Tampa. Like, it's not going to be that bad. Um, Tampa, incredibly banged up, right? Like, will Tom Brady have a ton of time? I'm, you know, sure. You know, he absolutely will. Um, But has that really mattered in some of these matchups where we're still waiting for Tampa Bay to necessarily blow somebody out here other than the Vegas Raiders who were rife with COVID that week? And that was like two months ago. And so when we're talking about like, who are we going to rely on to cover a touchdown spread? Tampa Bay doesn't qualify 
for me. And now they might, like they might win this game handily, maybe over the course of the bye week, things get ironed out, if you will, offensively. But I think fundamentally that offense is broken and there's something of a rift um, sort of theoretically between Arians, Leftwich, Brady, and just sort of everything that's going on there, right? They're just throwing the ball to Leonard Fournette way too much for that thing to be working on all systems go. And so maybe they get that figured out. Maybe we're sitting there going like, oh, they won by 14. Like, yeah, kind of brutal. Uh, lost that bet. But like, I just don't know why we would trust Tampa Bay here at minus six and a half, minus seven, when there's other teams to trust. Similar story with the Tennessee Titans, right? The Tennessee Titans are trying to tell you that they're mediocre, right? Like they show, you know, certain weeks and then other weeks, it's they can't stop anybody. And if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars here and you're getting seven and a half points, you're not, you know, you're not the Cleveland Browns, but you're Cleveland Brown adjacent, right? Like you're able to run the football. So that could open up some play action passing. And then what happens with Tennessee against a play action pass offense is they become one of the worst defenses in the league. And sure, they're going to be able to score against Jacksonville. Everybody does, right? But that's how you end up with these games that are in the 20s with both both teams in the 20s. And maybe it turns into a backdoor situation where Jacksonville is down 14, and maybe that's sort of the backup plan for this type of bet. But again, fundamentally, when you see teams like Kansas City as seven-point favorites, we'll get to New Orleans and Green Bay as seven-point favorites, but then you also see Tennessee as seven-point favorites. You go, one of these things, or in this case with with Tampa Bay against Minnesota, two of these things don't necessarily belong. And it's sort of relatively simplistic, but the market is sort of treating all of these matchups in the same way. But for me, at this point in the season, I rather trust the high-end teams teams because they are the high-end team versus just this team that kind of is obligated to be favored by seven points because they're playing a team that we don't think all that much of. But Jacksonville's still trying. You know, it doesn't really matter, right? Every week it's like, well, they're without five defensive backs or their, you know, entire offensive line is dead. And it's just like, well, you know, that's why they're 10-point underdogs to Minnesota. And then it's like they've got the ball in overtime and they could drive to win the game with a field goal. And you're like, why would I ever bet against this team getting two, you know, getting two scores? In this case, you know, we're we're slightly under the number here with seven and a half. Be interesting to see where this goes throughout the week. Indy and Las Vegas, probably my favorite one already to start because you know your boy loves a good buy low, sell high. And, you know, I'm not, no, I don't know that we're necessarily selling high on Indy at this point because it's not like last game, you know, was all that impressive. But I think that's kind of the point in that they won the game in a way that probably they should never have, you know, gotten to that point. And Vegas, of course, wins the game that they never should have won because the Jets had won that game. Like the game was over, right? All but a Hail Mary, except for the Jets. And the subsequently fired Greg Williams decided Hail Marys aren't that interesting. How about we just play cover zero here and go one-on-one with a long pass, which is essentially what happened. Like it looked, you know, because the coverage bus stunk, but even if the coverage didn't stink, like Derek Carr was going to make that throw and it was going to be a one-on-one jump ball or run to the ball type situation. And, you know, considerably easier for the offense than a Hail Mary type situation. Now we have to check the weather report, or not the weather report, the injury report, excuse me. Don't have to check the weather report in Vegas. It's going to be fine. Um, and so you got the, you know, you got this Colts team. It's you know, second game on the road here, right? Like, you know, 
got smoked by Tennessee, who, again, there's a certain cadre of teams in the league here that are all trying to do the same thing. And it's a little counterculture to where we're at here in 2020, but they're trying to run the football, right? And that's Cleveland, that's Tennessee, that's Minnesota, that's the Vegas Raiders, right? And it's just never going to work when it's, you know, Devontae Booker the entire time, but it's going to work if Josh Jacobs is in. And so we'll have to see whether he's in or not, because that obviously makes an incredibly big deal. But from a value standpoint, at plus three here, the line's not going any higher than plus three. So you might as well get that into your account. The look ahead line was pick em. My number's pick em, right? This is a game that I sort of circled as pick em. I'm going to like the Raiders. Now we're getting a free three points. And again, maybe things go awry here, but I think this number comes off of three and you'll be able to get Indy minus two, minus two and a half if you absolutely have to have it. But again, I think if this comes off of three, that's a pretty good indication that we're on the right side. Grabbing a plus three early on in the week, I think is our best move when it comes to this game. Jets and the Seattle Seahawks. Very easy after last week's results to go, okay, Jets playing a little bit better here. They've got some guys on offense. Best thing that, that happened to them, unfortunately for Frank Gore, is that he goes out with an injury. Hope he's okay from a concussion standpoint, right? Don't want to deal with any of that stuff. That being said, right, like you now see they've got young guys running the football. And if there's anything you want on a football team, like the first sort of rule of thumb is younger is better, especially at the running back position. And they've been running a 38-year-old guy out there. And I say running, it's more of like a couple of steps and fall down. And you see, you know, Josh Adams, Notre Dame guy, right? So a ton of talent there. He was very good at Notre Dame. Then um, you've got Ty Johnson. You know, he's running the ball and they're getting sort of easy first downs, which is not something that has been in the vernacular for the Jets. Now, Greg Williams is out, so we're going to get less ridiculous um, defensive calls. You know, DK Metcalf probably salivating at the opportunity to, you know, get a billion yards because what was lost in that game from Greg Williams was that he had absolutely no plan for Darren Waller. He was literally the only guy. Once Josh Jacobs is out of that game, Darren Waller is the only guy you need to worry about from a Raiders standpoint. Like, you will take your chances on everybody else. And I'm talking about, like, the first half, like, when the game started from a game-planning standpoint. Guy had 10 catches for, like, 150 yards, like, in the first half. And he had no plan for that. So that should have been fireable offense right there and just classic sort of incompetence of Greg Williams, right? But nobody's going to talk about that because he out-incompetenced himself. It's exactly like the Anthony Lynn situation where he runs the ball after getting a Hail Mary down to the one and you completely forget about all of the other insane gross incompetence that he had been showing the rest of that game. And so, um, you know, the the Jets here go on the road to Seattle, and the bad news is, is like they don't have the James Bradburys. They don't have those guys defensively that can sort of slow down Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. And so I'm not jumping at the chance to bet the plus 13 and a half. I still may get there, but this isn't a grab this number now because it's going to go down. But I don't want the Seahawks either because Pete Carroll is punting from the 36-yard line. Like imagine punting from the 36-yard line when Colt McCoy is the other quarterback. And I know you're thinking like, well, you could pin him deep and then uh, Colt McCoy is in trouble. Like, Colt McCoy is in trouble at the 36-yard line too. And at least you have an opportunity to continue the drive with Russell Wilson as your quarterback. So, you know, Pete Carroll officially off the reservation at this point with regards to whatever he is doing. Um, so he can't be bet at minus 13 and a half. So it's Jets 
or nothing, I think. But because I have to think about it, that means we're going to have to talk more about that on Friday if there's going to be a bet one way or another. And maybe it ends up, maybe I decide one way or another that I like one play um, more, more than the opposite side. Uh, Atlanta and the Chargers here. Wait, what? Yeah, Atlanta and the Chargers. So I'll put it this way. Line, char- uh, Falcons minus two and a half. What would have been before the game against the Patriots? Obviously, Chargers would have been favored probably along the lines of minus two, minus two and a half, maybe even minus three. I mean, obviously, it would have depended on what happened in that game. And of course, they lose 45 nothing, and now you see this line swing to the other side. And so the headline is 45 nothing. Chargers get absolutely smoked. But you go a little bit deeper and you go, okay, 45 nothing, and Cam Newton threw for 80 yards, which is exactly what Cam Newton's done essentially the last couple of games here. From a Chargers standpoint, there's a bunch of different ways that you can sort of talk yourself into them, right? Like, obviously, the talent element, uh, the fact that from a special team standpoint, like, that's what caused that game to be 45 to nothing, right? Whether it was the small stuff, like field position, or whether it was the big stuff, like blocking a field goal and returning it for a touchdown, or giving up a giant punt return touchdown that was relatively easy and now you're down 28 nothing at halftime instead of what probably could have and should have been you know 14 to 3 maybe 14 to 6 something along those lines and so it looks a lot worse than it is and that's what drives this line across the other way on the flip side the falcons are they going to be able to take advantage of the special teams atrocity that is the the chargers like historically bad special teams I don't know that that's the thing for the Falcons. Are they going to be able to just run the football down the, down, you know, like the Patriots could down the Chargers throat? That's not really a thing that Falcons do either. Are they going to be able to take advantage of red zone offense the way that the, you know, Cam Newton and the, the Patriots were able to on their other touchdowns? That's not really what the Falcons do either. This team is so absolutely lost offensively, given the fact that they have a veteran quarterback who is absolutely washed and a you know running back that they keep running out there who is literally the most ru- washed running back in the entire league. And everybody knows it and has known it for a couple of years, except for the Falcons. We're like, we can get Todd Gurley for a million bucks. That would be awesome. And they still have other guys who can run faster. It's, you know, it's akin to like, if Frank Gore is not the most washed up running back in the league, like, and you have to really look at yourself at that point in time. And, and he's not because Todd Gurley is still more washed than Frank Gore. So where, you know, like what are the Falcons going to do that like the Patriots did to take advantage? Because they don't score once they get into the, into the red zone. They don't take advantage in, in the terms of hidden yards or any of those sorts of things that the Chargers are just handing out like stocking stuffers on Christmas. And so I get why they're favored because of the public perception of just what a disaster the Chargers are. And don't get me wrong, they certainly are. And I'm still not advocating a Chargers bet here. But I am saying that at two and a half, what do we do, right? We grab the two and a half and we bump that thing up to eight and a half as part of a teaser leg. And this, you know, again, could they lose by 45 nothing again? I'm going to say no. They actually can't because the Falcons can't take advantage of any of those things. And I think the Chargers can move the ball offensively, right? Like the Falcons, are they going to have a defensive game plan the way that Bill Belichick cooks up a defensive game plan when he can smell an opportunity to sneak into the playoffs with one of literally the 10 worst teams from a talent standpoint in the entire league? Well, I don't think the Falcons can do that either. Sorry, Raheem Morris. And as much as the defense has improved, and they certainly did enough defensively to hang in and potentially win that game against the Saints, it's still not quite anything that we're going to be that afraid of 
So if we can get this thing up to eight and a half, which we can, even at minus 270, you go, okay, like that's the teaser price for a teaser like, right? Minus 270. Feels like a lot for a game that in theory the Falcons could, oh, because, you know, again, the Chargers have quit. And it's like, yeah, they've probably quit on their coach, but I don't think they quit on each other. I don't think they quit on succeeding on a play-to-play basis. You see some of these guys, and listen, a lot of times it manifests itself in stupid penalties, but you see how much these guys care about being better than the guy across from them, right? Whether it's a wide receiver or a DB or, you know, an offensive line, defensive line, these guys care about not getting absolutely dominated. So this idea of quitting is not that far off from the idea of tanking. Now, maybe the fourth quarter hits and you're getting punched in the face by Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins and, you know, Gus Edwards the entire time. You're just like, I'm kind of done with this. But again, nothing from the Falcons would indicate that that would be a thing, right? They don't do the stuff that allows them to be a favorite on the road against anyone. And I think the perception of the Chargers being sort of done this season is creating some value. And again, not enough value that I necessarily am dying to bet them at plus two and a half. Maybe if it gets to three, maybe if it gets to three. But if the line should be minus two and a half for the Chargers, we're no longer getting a six point tease right? We're getting like a nine point tease, a 10 point tease, even sort of an 11 point tease potentially for the price of a six point tease, right? If this is two, minus two and a half and now we're getting plus eight and a half, right? That's 11 points of value for minus 270, which I think is even with the disaster that is the Chargers and the undefinable quality, the sort of unquantifiable amount of points here that the Chargers are giving to other teams that have to affect the point spread. Even then, I still think plus eight and a half is value there. So we got to find some more teaser legs. Tons of the minus sevens that are capable of getting, you know, teased down. Don't get overly frisky with those because you know a couple of those are going to lose. I'd like to think that we're sort of maybe have our eye on a couple of them. One of them, Green Bay minus seven and a half against Detroit. I don't think this is one of those that loses. Frankly, I think this is one where, like Kansas City, and I think Green Bay and Kansas City are very similar, where it's, High-octane offenses, quarterbacks that you trust, occasionally have good running games. Defense, you know, can't stop the run to save their life. But if you can't run yourself, you're not going to be able to just all of a sudden do it. It's really just going to be against teams that are good at running is when, you know, the Green Bay Packers or the Kansas City Chiefs falter. Detroit Lions are not one of those teams. So Green Bay is going to score an absolute ton in this game. We're talking 35, we're talking 38. So it's really just a matter of can Detroit score that many points to keep up? And now it's starting to feel a little bit like Detroit and Houston from that Thanksgiving game where, again, the line is short. And I don't know that it was necessarily all that wrong because all the turnovers from Detroit had to sort of make it get a little out of hand here. I'm not relying on Detroit not to turn the ball over. And I'm certainly not relying on them to score 30 points as well because I just don't think that that's what Detroit does at this point. Now, if by some miracle Kenny Galladay comes back, you know, I'd like to think DeAndre Swift comes back and you sort of can maybe talk yourself into all of that. But none of that's going to change the fact that the Packers are going to score an absolute truckload of points. I know it's the square side. I get it. But in this case, I don't think sportsbooks are going to close because Green Bay didn't cover this game. I think they're going to stay open because some of these other teams that we expected, you know, to get there, you know, the Tampa Bays, maybe even the Titans, who knows, right? Maybe Miami shocks somebody. Those teams win games to knock off some of these teasers. New Orleans and the Philadelphia Eagles. 
this is a tougher one. This isn't one that I'm looking to take the minus seven and sort of run with it with the Saints. I think this is almost a better teaser leg than it is a Saints minus seven. That being said, I think this can only go higher. So it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if he took a little minus seven with the Saints um, and then sort of see what happens. Now, we're not going to back the Eagles in this. Everybody just calm down. We're not going to do it. I don't care. That being said, like how many points are the Saints going to score? Like if the Packers scored, you know, before that long run, you know, we're looking at a 20, you know, it's a 20 to what, 23, 17, something along those lines. So like how many are the Saints going to score given the fact that there's still like a very run oriented, relatively conservative offense here with Taysom Hill. And again, that's what the Eagles defense does, right? It's going to keep you in that, you know, like Seattle, right? Didn't score that many points. Green Bay didn't score that many points. So both of those, whether you needed the Hail Mary or whether you got burned by the Aaron Jones, all of those were in the realm of about a touchdown type, you know, game. Jalen Hurts, of course, gets a start for Carson Wentz. And thankfully, literally anybody but Carson Wentz at this point is probably going to be an uptick offensively for the Eagles. Bad news is he's starting against arguably the best defense in the entire league. And from a rookie quarterback standpoint, that doesn't really feel like that beneficial, right? So I think there's a real possibility this game is sort of like the 20 to 13 type game. And I just think that there's a you know, it's worth the Saints at minus one for a teaser more than I do them, you know, definitely covering the spread or sort of putting up the amount of, you know, yards and points that are going to be required to cover this spread in the same way like a Kansas City and a Green Bay do. So again, minus seven, I think I would grab a little bit of that right now just to sort of see where that goes. Washington and San Francisco, next two games are actually really interesting because they're actually co-related. And for Washington, San Francisco, I'll tell you right now, I've already bet Washington, but I bet Washington at plus four and a half. So I'd like, you know, as part of this podcast, you know, you, you know, you know, if you've been here a while, you know that like we're trying to, you know, I'd like you to still listen to the podcast, but if we could get to a point where you kind of know what I'm going to say before I say it, I think that would be a really good thing. So if we get to a point, you know, later this season, next season, where you can see a game like Washington beating Pittsburgh, and then subsequently watching San Francisco lose, that your first instinct isn't, oh, I love Washington as an underdog. They're going to beat San Francisco. Like, you know, plus four and a half is a bet that I'm going to make, and I'm going to leave it there, and it's going to be great. Instead, I'd like you to say, everybody's going to think that, all of what I just said, I'm going to bet Washington plus four and a half, not because I want to stay there, but because that's good value and everybody's going to drive this number down to where it's right where it is right now at minus three. And then I can make a decision whether I like San Francisco minus three or whether I like Washington at the number that I have. And maybe you just stick with the number at plus four and a half and listen if this line doesn't really move or it ticks back to three and a half. Maybe I'll sit on that plus four and a half and I'll go, okay, I'll take my chances with some good closing line value. Or... Or it drops to the point where San Francisco is now the value at, you know, minus three even money. And I want to bet San Francisco minus three. So now I've created a synthetic line of minus two and a half where if it lands on three, I'm still a winner because I have Washington plus four and a half. And, you know, so I'm going into that game going like, I just want San Francisco to win this game by three. It's a line that does not exist, right? You know, it's effectively San Francisco minus two and a half from a synthetic standpoint. And so you go in and you go, okay, like I have this line that nobody else has, right? We've had that a couple of times a season. They don't even necessarily work out all that 
often, right? Like I could still have that minus two and a half synthetic line and Washington could end up winning. And we and all the people who showed up on Monday and were like, oh, Washington, they beat Pittsburgh. They're going to beat San Francisco. San Francisco lost to Buffalo. They're going to lose to Washington. And they all might be right. And it might, it might just be, you know, bust out the parade gifts and everybody wins. I just don't know yet whether I like which side or the other. It's just I wanted to get that plus four and a half because I knew how the market would react to those two games. And again, if you can get to that point where you can do that before I come on here on Tuesday or Wednesday and tell you about, oh, I grabbed plus four and a half, you know, and like maybe I should be tweeting these out a little bit more. But again, sometimes that's a little bit difficult. Um, you know, that's where we would like to get to with this podcast so that we can all celebrate that we've got this, you know, we've got this great number together and it doesn't have to be this sort of, I did this, sorry, you guys are late to the party type of thing. And again, I don't know if that bet even wins because maybe San Francisco is the right side in this. Um, we're just going to sort of wait and see when it comes to that game. Interestingly enough, the Sunday night game, Pittsburgh and Buffalo, and I don't know if the how the NFL sort of managed this, but they did where these, you know, the four teams that played on Monday are just changing opponents and are back and playing again on Sunday. And in this case, obviously, it's Pittsburgh and Buffalo, the other two teams that participated in that Monday doubleheader. And same kind of deal, but in you know a little bit the opposite way, right? Where Buffalo plays this great game, just like Washington did. And now they are up to minus three in some places against Pittsburgh. You know, a team that was about minus one, minus one and a half at Buffalo as recently as last week. So another over-adjustment to the line here. So I think, I don't think, I know the bet that you're supposed to make is Pittsburgh plus three. Now, got some injury issues here. And listen, public sentiment is all about Buffalo at this point. Josh Allen looked tremendous, but it doesn't always look that good. Frankly, it didn't look that good against the Chargers the week before that. And there have been other games this season where it didn't look that good. And we always go, well, don't forget about the weather in Buffalo. Because a Sunday night weather situation, you know, who knows that if that necessarily benefits Buffalo. It certainly hasn't up until this point. Pittsburgh's finally lost a game. Maybe there's a relief element there. Are they going to lose two in a row? Like yada, yada, yada. Like this would have been a better spot if Pittsburgh had won the game. Right? If they had just taken that 14 to nothing lead and rode that thing home, we'd be all about Buffalo. And now you're saying, well, okay, so one game, why wouldn't you be all about Buffalo in this situation? Well, for the obvious reasons, right? For one, we're getting three points now instead of a pick'em or sort of a small underdog price with Buffalo. And we've also seen Buffalo playing about as well as Buffalo can play. When we talk about ranges, that is the absolute peak, right, of Buffalo's range. I mean, minus sort of the turnovers in the first quarter, right? Fumble, fourth down, you know, conversion that didn't work. Uh, it's just, it's just... It's not never going to be that good for Buffalo. So it's kind of hard for me to believe that it's going to be that good on two straight days, right? Uh, as for Monday, Baltimore, speaking of teams on short rest here against Cleveland, this one, you know, look ahead was Baltimore minus three. But again, we're starting to see, obviously, the, uh, you know, chinks in the armor when it comes to, you know, the, the Ravens here. That being said, people are still seemingly wanting the Ravens. I'm seeing a lot of people going like, oh, love that, like now it's down to minus one and we can get the Ravens and the Browns. Okay, they won. And sort of the mainstream media goes like, oh, maybe they're for real. But like the betters are still like, nah, I don't really think so. For me, I'm going to have to take a long, hard look at this game. And this one might not be anything until I play it on Monday if I play it at all. Obviously, if this line shot up to like Baltimore minus three, I would certainly like Cleveland a lot more. If this sort of switched where I could get a decent value on a Baltimore money line that would be a different story too i don't necessarily know that baltimore is that great and i don't think that 
the Browns are that great. And the Browns are at home here on a Monday night, but it's not, again, not like they have that much of an advantage from this standpoint. Like, you know, Baltimore smoked him in the first game, but that was a very different lineup for Baltimore. The Browns beat him last year in Baltimore. So they're certainly somewhat capable of that. And so there's a ton of different ways to look at this game and sort of unfortunate to kind of finish off here with a game where I'm like, eh, we'll see. But that's kind of where we are with regards to the Monday nighter in week 14. Uh, We'll get you out of here on this. College hoops, um, you know, the demand is starting to percolate with like, let's not just dip our toe into it. Let's get a little deeper. Uh, two and one last night, bad, bad beat with Kansas. Um, led much throughout the second half. Uh, up three, um, arguably their best free throw shooter on the line for a one and one to go up five. He misses the first one. Can't, you know, uh, Creighton goes down, takes an you know, off-balance three-pointer that's probably going to get rebounded and fouled to go back to the line to try again. He gets fouled, and we go, okay, well, we could get all three and go to overtime and try this again, and he makes the first two, but he misses the next one, and the game's over. (laughs) So uh, unfortunate there for Kansas, who I think was still the right side in that game, Uh, but we make it back in the next two games here. Iowa with an easy win against North Carolina, and Illinois, our squad, Again, talked about it before. I will talk about it again. An incredible number on them to win the national championship this year. So obviously about a million things are probably going to go wrong before now and then. But at least we got in there. Wrong. Talked about it. Wrong team was favored last night uh, at Cameron Indoor. There should be no real home court advantage, if any at all. And Illinois was just the better team. So we were getting at least, you know, three and a half you know, points of line value as that game should have been much closer to pick them, if not Illinois as a small favorite. Um, I know that sounds like hindsight, but again, if you listen or you follow along, you already know that I thought the wrong team was favored in that one. As for today, a schedule that was okay is a little bit less okay after uh, Michigan State and Virginia has been canceled. And, you know, Virginia, COVID issues, and blah, blah, blah. So now in the span of a week, we've lost Michigan State and Virginia, and of course, Gonzaga and Baylor on Saturday. And so even though there's other games going on, and it's still happening, and we're still slowly trudging our way to hopefully getting a tournament, it's still more than any other sport when things kind of get jammed up. It just still hurts when college basketball games, really big time college basketball games get canceled because that's what I'm always going to remember from COVID-19 is when the tournaments got canceled in March, right? Because we ended up getting our hockey, we ended up getting our NBA, as, as weird as it looked and weird as it felt, we still got there, we still got that closure. College basketball, the only thing that we never got closure on, and so it hurts every time one of these games get canceled. As for tonight's games, though, um, again, we're dipping our toe in, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a volume of games. I've got nine here. Uh, I don't even necessarily want you to bet them. I just want you to sort of track them and we'll see how we do. And then we could end up three and six or two and seven. Wouldn't surprise me in the least, right? Point is though, is like, as long as we're tracking these games as our toe dip into the water, or maybe we're tracking nine and we're only betting the five we like most or the three that we like most, all of those things are totally up to you, right? This is one where this is very much ball in your court, right? Depending on what sort of risk you're willing to sort of take here this early in the season when we are admittedly just toe dip 
into college basketball. But here is what I have. Rhode Island plus 11 against Wisconsin here in a 4.30 start Eastern time. I think Rhode Island can hang in there with Wisconsin, though I think Wisconsin's obviously a very good team. Maryland and Clemson, it's literally the only one on main Canadian television, which strangely enough, especially for those of you in the United States, might be hard to believe, but is actually relevant to people's betting patterns when it comes to college basketball in this country. Uh, I like Clemson minus two. Uh, against Maryland here. Uh, Providence plus three at TCU, I think has a couple of points of value. Uh, And then we go to, sorry, Toledo plus 14 and a half against Michigan. Uh, I think Toledo good enough to kind of hang around with a Michigan team that I'm not sure really necessarily why would they care about this game. Uh, I think we're getting value with Nebraska plus two at home to Georgia Tech. Nebraska, not a very good team, but with the exception of that upset, that Georgia Tech had over this past weekend uh, against Kentucky, I don't really know that Georgia Tech is any good. (laughs) So so Nebraska plus two at home here as part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, I'll take that one. Uh, Florida State minus three and a half against Indiana. Indiana a little bit more tested to this point in the season, but I think Florida State uh, sort of chomping at the bit here to get their season going against some really good teams. Uh, and at minus three and a half, I think there's a little bit of value sort of with the relative unknown at this point with Florida State. Uh, Xavier, plus two off of the Crosstown rivalry with Cincinnati, plus two at home against Oklahoma. I think defensively, they're going to be able to hang around um, and get the victory here and, and sort of be able to deal with Oklahoma um, and their shooting um, be able to contest some of those outside shots that some of these schools who've been getting trucked by Oklahoma haven't been able to do. Texas State and Texas. Texas has had this wild schedule, right, where they, you know, play the Maui Invitational, not in Maui, um, and they, you know, they win it, right, with last second shot to beat North Carolina, and then they go and they have to play, you know, they get, you know, Villanova at home, and they, you know, fight to the death with Villanova, uh, don't necessarily win the game, but now it's Texas State comes to town. And so, like, what did Texas really care about this game? Whereas Texas State is like, this is kind of their Super Bowl, right? Especially from an early season standpoint. And at plus 17 and a half here, I think we're getting a couple extra points of value just based on the fact that Texas has played and had success in all of these games. Uh, Boise State and BYU is the final one here. Give me Boise State plus four and a half. I just think they're better than BYU. And obviously the home court element here is what's making BYU favored, but not that much different from Duke is, you know, I just don't think it matters all that much this season. Um, and maybe, listen, I don't know what the situation is um, up there in uh, in Utah as far as how many people they're allowing in the arenas. But again, I just think Boise State's better team here and we're getting four and a half points, so we'll try that. So um, do whatever you want with regards to that information. Again, we're, you know, so early in the season. Um, maybe those go 9-0, and maybe those go 0-9. The more likely thing is it's probably 4-4 four and four with one game that is like hanging by the balance, and maybe that's the first game, maybe that's the last game, or maybe there's a game somewhere in between, uh, but that's just kind of how it is. And if we didn't learn anything even from last night where you can have two easy cruise job winners and then one game that relies on a kid to make a free throw where if you look him right in the eye before he shoots the free throw and you know this kid's not making this free throw... You know, that's the story with college basketball. That's why we're dipping our toe in, because not only do we not have really a strong feeling on these teams and a strong, you know, a bunch of data points on these teams, it's also the, the sport and the league, if you will, 
that has just the absolute worst beats that you can possibly take. And so keep it you know, breezy when it comes to that sort of thing. Tomorrow, uh, Thursday Night Football, we'll talk about that. I'll be on in the morning with Sheldon Alexander and the On Blast Podcast Network. For, so look for that. I'll get that retweeted out. And that sort of, you know, if this is the first look at the NFL, that's the second look at the NFL. The third look, of course, is on Friday. And then the final look is on Sunday, as we've been crushing it all along here. Still in the top 100, even with the three and two uh, in the Circa Million last week. Still just one point out of the cash. Um, still lamenting the Aaron Jones run and the Chargers-Bills debacle from the last two weeks. Those two points, um, you know, you're just never going to get those back. And it sucks because we would be in the top 25 if we had both those games, but that's the NFL, right? Like you can cap it all the way down to the point where they're on the doorstep one way or another of covering, and it just doesn't necessarily work out. That's all we've got for you today. Subscribe, rate, and review. I know it's a thing you hear on everybody's podcast, but it really does help. So please do that. Until next time, I'll see you at the window.